Thank you, guys. Thank you. And thank you for being in God's house this morning. No better place to be on this day. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But I just want you to know, if this is your first time here, we welcome you. This is my first time being on the pulpit in a flannel shirt. So, uh, uh, yes, we just told you to come casual as you are. You want to dress up for Christmas, if that's what you do, that's fine. And so we just wanted to come to the house of God and be with him and be as a family. And that's the desire. We are God's family, and we're very grateful for every member of it. And however you celebrate Christmas, we're just glad you're celebrating what it's all about. We are not a perfect church or a perfect people. We recognize that fact, and we were searching for hope and help, and God provided that through Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here. This is the day we celebrate that. As we've been uh, just celebrating and coming into this Advent season, it's, it's crazy how, like, you can start hearing Christmas songs in September, and they're putting decorations and stuff out in, in Walmart and different places because they want you to buy stuff. It's not about them celebrating Jesus. It's about them celebrating you spending your money. All right, we know that. But there's this reminder telling us that Christmas is coming. And as we travel through these months coming towards this day, it seems like, you know, it's coming, it's coming, it's here, and it's gone. And it happens that fast. And, and as we've been, as a church, traveling through this Advent season, which is the four Sundays previous to Christmas, as we did that, and uh, this year as God asked that we would just cover those themes that were coming in. The first week was the hope, the week of hope, hope that light came into the darkness and there was given an opportunity to humanity. And the second week was peace and it is the peace that God brings on earth that can be found in no other way. And then the third week was joy and understanding that having a right relationship with God is the only thing that brings us joy. It's not an emotion. It's not happiness. Joy is a peace within that I know my heart's right with God and all is well. And last week we talked to you about love. An incredible God that we serve who is love and how that impacts our lives. If you missed any of those services or any service, you can always go online at cfftucson.com and you can watch those services. We live broadcast those, but they're also on there for you to follow along. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here last Sunday, to go and watch that service. Not because of anything that we have done, but the contents of God's message his, his word is incredible and it is amazing. And as we come together today on this Sunday, which is the Sunday that we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the Christ. Now, I'm, I'm not calling anybody or texting anybody. I need to keep this open to share with you something that I want to share. So here we are, celebrating Christmas Day, the day that God himself became one of us to give us an opportunity that we could not have in any other way. As I begin reading the scriptures, I want you to hear these words from God's holy word speaking to us about this Jesus. Church, would you open up your ears to what God wants to say to you today? This is a very different Christmas, a different service. We didn't sing Christmas songs. I don't know if you noticed that. But it's intentional as we look at what God's doing. What is it that God wants to say to us today? Father, we love you. We're so grateful for Jesus. God, if we look at the songs that we've sung and the message and the content that is there, that it speaks into our life about this day and what it means to all of us. God, we ask you to open up our hearts, our ears, our minds, our senses to hear you. For God, this day is all about you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. John writes to us, and I shared some of these verses last night in the communion service, but I want you to stay. We're not going to be in the same context. We want to look at what God says to us in John 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. 
the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus Christ, the Word. Here's what I want us to know, church. We need to know this. Jesus Christ didn't begin in the manger. He became a man in the manger. But Jesus Christ existed in the beginning, and He was and is the Word. We need our Christology, our understanding of Jesus firm as we navigate through our lives to understand what this means to us as we understand Jesus Christ was not a creation of God he is God and it is he who created all things and without him nothing was made that was made and it was his very breath that entered into humanity in the very beginning to make us that living soul we're talking about Jesus when he was born when the angel came Gabriel came down to Mary and told her that that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. All right, that's what he said. God, coming as man, he will be called the Son of God. It didn't say he is the Son of God. He shall be called the Son of God because he preexisted. The word, the word became flesh. John teaches us this in the Scriptures, and he's saying God became flesh and dwelt among us. It is the Word. He existed and now he existed as humanity for our redeeming and for the purpose of giving us a hope and an opportunity that none of us could have in any other fashion. As you read down through John chapter 1 and into verse 10, we stopped at verse 5, but the 10th verse says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Amen. Church, we're talking about the relationship that God brought to us as a second chance when we screwed it up the first time. So we're looking at what God did for us and what he means for us and what he planned for us and his intentions for us is to have us have a second birth. We understand that, church? God's word says expecting us and Jesus came to give us the opportunity to have a second birth. Why? Because the first birth was in sin. And in sin we had no life. Jesus Christ came as the light and life of the world and he gave us the opportunity to be reborn or a second birth, an opportunity to get it right where it could not be right in any other way. He gave us the opportunity for that second birth that only comes from God, only comes from, not from the church, not from any human being. This opportunity for the second birth only comes from, through, and by our God that we no longer live by the flesh, for the flesh was born in the flesh, but we are reborn into the Spirit of God, and in that birth that God gives to us, we are born into life, and we are born to live for God. Prior to our saying yes to Jesus, 
we lived for me. Right? Come on, guys. Prior to saying yes to Jesus, we lived to me and for me. We then began a life of surrender to God and God being in charge. When we said yes to Jesus and we were reborn, what we did was we said, my life did not answer. That's what we're talking about when we give you that statement in the beginning. We, we are not a perfect church or a perfect people. We're here because God provided the help we needed in Jesus Christ, and we know that. And therefore, we are pursuing God that we might have the life He intended for us. So in this process of us surrendering our life to God, what we are doing is we are putting God in charge where I used to be in charge. When I was in charge, I screwed it up. I made choices that were all about me, and I offended people, and I lived for self. When I give my life to God and I say yes to Him and I begin to live a life of surrender, being living in His line and life and light that He gives to me, I begin to see that the life that I live is not about me. It's all for Him. So we are surrendering and beginning this process of surrendering ourselves and our lives to Him. So let me, let me just clarify some things with you and let you know that Jesus didn't become flesh and defeat sin for us to simply let us keep on living the lives that we've been living. Right? Come on, guys. I mean, what would be the point if Jesus came and became flesh and died for us, and yet we just live the same way we always did? He came that we might have life, the life we could not have any other way. And so Jesus Christ came to give to us life. Prior to knowing Jesus, we didn't have life. So we aren't supposed to live the same old way we used to live. He came to change us and give us life. And that life that he came to give us, we never had before. We could never obtain any other way, and it is only through him. This is the only way that works. <laughs> all right. Here's the thing. We're all sitting here in church because we believe in God. All right, we all, we do. And, and I was raised in a church that believed, I absolutely knew God existed. I believed in him. I believed Jesus Christ was the son of God, that he was the savior of the world, that he died on the cross for me, that he rose again. I believed that I would stand before him someday in judgment and what I did with him would determine if I would spend eternity in heaven or in hell. All that stuff was true and I believed it all, but I wasn't saved. I wasn't reborn. You know what James writes? That's why I have my Bible open right here on my phone. Listen. James writes this in the second chapter. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. <laughs> Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. See, the devil believes all that. So because you say, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus, doesn't mean anything. Seriously, please hear me. That doesn't mean anything because you say, I believe. People are all across America and the world going to church because they believe that God is real. But most, too many, I won't say most, too many, only believe in God that He exists, but they don't know Him because they've never been reborn and experienced the Spirit of God entering into their life. This is the purpose that Jesus came. This is the reason we go to church in the first place. We don't go to church because God exists. We go to church because we want a relationship with God and through Jesus Christ we can have that and then we together as a family learn to grow in Him, support one another, encourage one another and grow in the faith. That's what church is all about. Not punching a card and scoring points with God. We can't score them with Him. 
The only point you can score with God is on your knees before the cross, receiving Jesus' forgiveness for your sins. Okay, now when James is talking to the church and he tells them, that's great, good for you, you believe in God. The point that he's making right there, and he goes on and he says, this is what he says in the very next verse, which is verse 20 in chapter 2. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? All right? Now James isn't saying go earn your way to heaven, go do, do good stuff to score points with God. No, he's saying if you truly believe, your life will be different and you will live different and you will serve people. He's saying there's an action that is involved in someone who has been reborn because remember we were talking about last week how love is an action towards and so when Jesus Christ has come and we are reborn and the Spirit of God lives within us, there is absolutely love in action in my life as I reach out towards other people. Now Jesus said this in John 10. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Now as Jesus explains this to the people that are there, everyone there, he was using a real life application story so the people would understand what he was talking about in who he was, who he is, and what he was there to do. Now, we're not shepherds, and you, if you're a Bible scholar, somebody that studies the Word of God, you've probably looked into the shepherding deal and what they're talking about in history. But just so you know, when the sheep were out in the fields at night, they would gather together. They had holding pens so that they could be easily protected from predators, thieves, and all that kind of stuff. And so all the flocks would come together at night. And in the morning, the shepherds would come to take their sheep out into the fields to feed them and water them and get them out where they belong. So as they would come, Jesus is saying, look guys, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who comes and I come here to tell you that through me and following me, you're going to find life. Alright? Now the gathering that he's talking about is this. And as you look at the scriptures and you look at what's being said, Jesus says a couple of very important things to us. He said, my sheep know my voice. In other words, we've heard God and we've responded to him, and I know that he is God. Now he says this, he leads us. If you hear my voice, you follow and he leads. They follow his lead because they trust him. They trust him because he provides everything that is necessary in life. The life that God is calling to us, church, is the life that trusts him in all things. The life that allows him to lead. No longer am I in control. He is the one that's in control. This is what David was talking about when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, long before Jesus ever came into the world, because David had played the role of a shepherd. He lived that life, and he understood it. We all know Psalm 23, and most of us want it read at our funerals. Well, I want to read it while you're alive, okay? <laughs> I want us to hear what David said, because what David said is exactly what Jesus was teaching. In the 23rd Psalm, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He's saying, He's taking care of me. All right? He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. 
He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of mine enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You see what David is saying? He's, he's speaking from first-hand experience, saying, well, I, I get this, God. You're my shepherd. Just like I'm taking care of these sheep. If I don't take care of them, they have no life, they have no hope, and they're lost. And so David is saying, God, you are the provider, the protector. Even when the things get dark and I am in the most dangerous places of life, I can trust you. You've got me. Church, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Now we go back to John chapter 10, and this is what he tells us. You go on reading down through chapter 10 when Jesus is talking about him being the gate, the shepherd. You know his voice. You follow his lead and all that. And he goes on. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a life to the full, a life of abundance. This is the life that Jesus Christ came to provide for you and I. The only way to experience this life is a surrender of obedience and following his lead. Please understand that. The other thing is God doesn't, he doesn't want to be invited on our journey. God doesn't want to just be invited to follow you through life. He's not a follower, he's a leader. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep, we follow his lead. He wants to guide us through our lives. He wants us to understand that he is here to lead us. Because we've been in charge and we screwed it up. He wants to be in charge to give us life. The shepherd that you can trust, whose voice you know. I'm going to ask you something here before we get misinterpreted in our minds and stuff. But are you living the rich and satisfying life that Jesus intends for you to live? Are you living that life? It's not a life of health and wealth. That's what we want. See, we think of you know, that, that rich and satisfying life, that means I have everything I, I want, not that I need, everything I want, and I'm comfortable in that. But the life that Jesus is talking about to us is a life of peace, a life firm on a foundation built in a relationship with the Creator, knowing that He has it all under control, church, and I can trust Him. That is a satisfying life when you know that you know that God has you that you know that God is leading your life, that he has everything under control. Remember what David said, even in the presence of mine enemies, in the darkest of hours, in the valley of the very shadow of death, God, you've got me. Jesus is saying, church, if you follow me, I will lead you and I will take care of you and I will provide for you a rich and satisfying life you cannot have any other way. The most wealthy people in the world are the most miserable people in the world. All you got to do is read that stuff that they talk about. Their lives and their relationships are falling apart. They are empty. They're pursuing something to meet their needs. Selling this mansion to buy that one and it never comes up with anything that satisfies. It's all temporary. Why would we believe the lies of the world? We've lived that before, church. We were also pursuing things that would meet our needs and they never met our needs. We were satisfied in the moment, but we grew thirsty again. Jesus Christ is the only one that meets the need, that satisfies my soul, that gives me peace and rest and a foundation on which I can actually build my life knowing that it will not fall apart in a moment's notice. All right. 
He will lead us through life and give us the satisfaction of our soul even in the face of death itself. I've seen it. I've been with many people who have left this world, those that knew Jesus and those who didn't. I want you to know the grace that God has for you is available to you all the way through this life from birth to death. A lot of Christians are struggling in life. We're not feeling that satisfying, rich life that God has for us. We're not experiencing that. And here's the problem. We ask God to come into our life and forgive us of our sins. And then we just kind of put him in our pocket and we carry him around with us. And when we get in a place where we can't navigate or we don't know what's going on, just like our GPS, we call and say, hey, how do I get out of here? That's not what God came to do. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I come to you where you're in that pen and I call you by name and then I lead you and you follow. This is the problem, church. This is the problem. Too many of us are inviting God to follow us and only calling out for him to lead when we get ourselves in places that we can't find a way out. That's not following. That's not a life of surrender. That's not a life of obedience. That's what God's called us to do. We have to be following and not leading in this relationship with God. In John 14, Jesus said this, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now, Jesus is talking to the disciples now, and as you look at that in the original Greek, and I don't know Greek, you just study the words, just so you hear me. I'm trying to impress you. I have no way to do that. Hear me. That word advocate in the original Greek, the word is paraclete. And that word can be exchanged like many. When you translate languages, there's multiple words that can fill that slot. Advocate could be counselor, comforter, or encourager. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your counselor, your comforter, your encourager. He's going to be your guide in life. This is what he tells us, church. Hear this. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Did you notice some things that are very strongly mentioned there? We see here two different times, two different elements about our life and our walk with God. He talks about the obedience that is necessary for us to do what he says, a life of action, love towards, remember? An action. So it's a life of obedience. And then also following the Holy Spirit's lead. Please hear this. Following his lead following his lead alright God has everything in his hands we are here to follow his lead as we come together as a church and as we celebrate this Jesus that we talk about the Lord wants us together as a community to understand who this Jesus is in our life and who he is he is God that we are to, once we say yes to him, enter into a relationship with the Creator that follows his lead for that day forward is a life of full surrender, full obedience, and the Spirit of God's leading. See, I'm hesitant to say this because I'm not condemning anyone and their choices and their decisions as churches, as people, but as a pastor, I know I've been involved in many conversations today and many churches aren't having service today, all right? Please hear this now. Many churches aren't having service today because Christmas fell on Sunday, and they say it's, it's a time to be with family. 
All right. I mean, that's happening all around our city and our country. All right. But here's what I want to say to you. Easter always falls on Sunday. Okay. I mean, seriously, think about it for a minute. Why do we come together on Easter Sunday? And why is it always falling on a Sunday? It's a celebration that Jesus Christ came back from the dead and he's alive forevermore. And we come together every Sunday, the first day of the week, because the Sabbath day in the Old Covenant is Saturday. It is. It is. The Sabbath day is Saturday. Don't misunderstand that. All throughout the Old Testament, the seventh day of the week, Sunday is the first day of the week. And the reason the New Testament church began to gather on the first day of the week is to celebrate the New Covenant, the resurrected Savior Jesus Christ, and that we are going forward in the New Covenant celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ not only died, but he rose again and he gave the church, his followers, the opportunity to have life forevermore. So we celebrate on the first day of the week and every Easter we come together and celebrate that fact. But all of a sudden when we come to Christmas, it's about our family. Here's the problem. God wants to be first in our life. It's not good enough to just believe that he is. He has to be first in our life. We have to follow his lead. We have to celebrate who he is. Our culture has put everything in front of God. And as believers, God has to be in front of everything. We are following his lead, church. Following him. For God has called us into a relationship with him that puts him first in our life. So our culture is spoiled. I just say, our church culture is spoiled. We are spoiled, rotten kids. We are. You know... Well, yeah, I'll be very careful how I start talking about this because, you know, we're a bunch of whiners. We really are. We, we, if the music's too loud, it's too short, it's too long, it's too this, it's too that. If there's the wrong lighting and the wrong temperature in the church or this is going on or that's not going on or this should be going on or that shouldn't, we're all whining about something constantly. I just want you to know I hear you, but I don't care. All right? <laughs> all right. I don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's like, you know, come on, man. Is, what is this all about? Remember, love and action is towards. So if you don't like the music, maybe it's touching someone else. Celebrate that it's for them. It's not about you. Right? Come on. Seriously. You don't like this decoration on the platform? So what? It's going to change. One of our values is we're committed to change. That's going to go away. Something else will come, and you'll probably not like that either. So what? I mean, seriously. I mean, we've got to put things in perspective about what it means to follow my God and having Him lead my life. It's not about this church or this building or anything else. We put our anchors on stuff that have nothing to do with a relationship with God. We're here to follow His lead. Follow His lead. And if you think someone's going off course, pray for them. Don't talk about them. Just pray for them. God's going to take care of us. We're praying that God would open up the hearts and the eyes, the minds. My prayer is every week, I'm saying, God, open up my eyes that I might see, my ears that I might hear, my lips that I might speak, my hands that I might touch, my feet that I might go. I want to be a complete servant, a following leader of God's people who is fast on the heels of my Savior Jesus, following the Holy Spirit, where I don't have to wonder where He went, but I'm right on His coattails so that I know that I'm walking with Him and He's leading the way in my life. Church, we have to be aggressive about our following of our leader, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit given to us that we might experience that life with God. Come on, He's not just someone we visit once a week. He's not someone we just talk to when we got problems. 
He's not the one we just asked to fix our problems that we created. He's a God who wants to have a living relationship with us that guides us throughout our days, our weeks, our family issues, our problems, our country, and everything else that's going on around us. God wants to have that kind of a personal, intimate relationship with us, but it requires us to follow his lead. All right, here's your action steps. We've got to get you out of here. We're five minutes late. Have you said yes to Jesus? But in doing, well, we're probably later than that. That clock's off. So, sorry about that. All right, seven minutes late. Have you said yes to Jesus, but in doing so, you simply invited him on your journey through life? Remember this. As we grow, we are learning a life of submission to the Father and understanding who he is. We learn to follow by being mentored into that relationship of understanding. All right, no one just starts off and does everything right. We're learning as we grow. So, you know, as you understand this, like wherever you are right now in your life, if you said yes to Jesus, that's awesome. But I want to encourage you to say, hey, I want you in front of me, God. You get in front of me. I'll step back. Remember when, when John the Baptist was proclaiming Jesus and he was talking about the one coming after? And God had talked to him in private and personal time. And he had told John the Baptist, the one you see the Spirit falling like a dove upon is the one. And, and Jesus came. And John the Baptist saw him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And John had this huge following and this great ministry that was happening. The people were all running out to John before they ever ran to Jesus or even knew who he was. People were being baptized and repenting and coming to live the life they were called to live for God. But there came a moment in John's ministry and life as he was going, and this is what he said. The one that comes after me is greater than me. And I am not worthy to even carry his sandals, the lowest form of a servant. And he said, he must increase and I must decrease. This isn't about me. <laughs> John absolutely lived the life of surrender, the life of following. What we're saying to your church and what God's asking us is, will you just decrease and allow God to increase in your life today? This is our last worship service of 2016. As we close out this year, let's submit our yes to Jesus in full obedience and allow Him to lead us as we head into the new year, 2017. It is sincerely our prayer that this would be the greatest year of our growth in every capacity of our church, personally, our spiritual relationship with God, numerically, physically, financially. I, I'm asking God to make this the greatest year of our existence ever, individually and together as a body. I want God to lead us through this year and just do what God wants to do. And I want to live that rich and satisfying life that God has for us to live as a community of believers as we follow His lead. Whenever there's confusion or conflict that arises in the body, I just want you to hear me. Whenever that arises in the body, and when there's human beings, we're going to have some differences. That's okay. But the way conflict is resolved, please hear this, the way conflict is resolved is when I step back and I submit and I recognize it's not about me. Amen? You want to have peace in your home? Stop fighting for yourself and start leading through love and let God take control. Things will work out. They will. It's just the way he does stuff. My final action step, I don't know if you see them or not yet, there you go. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to lay it all out in front of you. You don't have to have a plan. Just simply trust Him. 
He's going to direct your steps. All right, that's part of our submission. One of my life verses that I love is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. I love that promise in Proverbs 3. I love it. Because see, what happens is a lot of times Dave starts to try and figure it out, starts to devise a plan. He's, he submits his plans to God for his blessing and wait for a stamp of approval so that together we can accomplish great things for him. <laughs> right? That's not what he says. So when I start my process of submitting what God's going to do, I have to retract my submission and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? And you lead. So that's the life of constant surrender and full obedience to the Father that we need to live. Let's submit to that as we enter into this new year, right here, right now, beginning that journey with God as Him being the lead of our life. Amen? No longer just believing, but believing. Amen. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for Jesus. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Christmas and the season that it is. Oh, Emmanuel, God with us. What an incredible thought, God. God is with us. Thank you that we don't leave here alone. Thank you that we don't have to figure it out. Thank you that we can trust you completely, that we can have life to the rich and to the full as you intended for us, that relationship. I pray a blessing over every person that's here, their families, their communities. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And this altar is always open, and God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Thank you.